Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. Um, but in this, like, we're set up for success in the Assemblies of God through our missions program. Everyone envies the AG when it comes to missions. I need you to know that. Because we have programs like BGMC, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, Speed the Light, Light for the Lost, Light the Way, and we, the church, support missionaries through U.S. and world missionaries. It's about generational missions given. Okay, do you know that generosity flows upward? That if we teach children to give and to become compassionate at a young age, that's why the buddy barrel is so important. Like, I need you to hear me. Like, I'm stepping into this, and I'm just the speed of light guy, but I'm not. Okay, like this passion for missions, for people getting the opportunity to hear about Jesus, like it burns so deeply in me, and we are set up for success. We truly are. If we partake and teach at a young age, are, we are all about generational missions given. With family being so important to me, it's just... It's hard when I walk into a church and they don't do BGMC, or they may do BGMC but not Speed Light, or they may do Speed Light but not BGMC, or they may not do either of those, but they do world missions. Okay, God has called us to raise up every generation to be missional. It's time for the church in this season to stop sitting back. You and I have to stop playing defense. Okay, guys, it's time we play offense. Like, I, I look at this whole thing with COVID right now, honestly. Like, I'm telling you, we cannot shrink back and stop sharing the gospel during this time. Okay, people are leaning, and, and I'm not, listen, I take my mask with me. Like, here we go, that partnership, NFL, uh, World Serve, we had these made up. Like, this are like sideline uh, gators, we're calling them, launching that partnership. So I wear this everywhere I go, every airport, every city, everywhere I go. Like, I go through the routine. Why are people wearing these? Because they bring comfort and they bring safety. Okay, but that's only, that's only just for a minute. Jesus brings comfort and safety for a lifetime, for eternity. So why aren't we talking about that more? Okay, like you and I, the church has to rise up. Okay, we have to play offense. Jesus did die for the entire world, and we're called to fight for every single life within it. I believe that we're in the midst of the greatest missional movement that our fellowship has ever seen. And I want to talk to you about generosity and how it's become a contradiction in our lives today, this morning. From prison, 500 years ago, John Bunyan, author of The Pilgrim's Progress, Progress, he wrote these words. The more he gave, the more he had. The more he gave, the more he had. If we did not understand kingdom principles, those words would make absolutely no sense to us. The more he gave, the more he had. If we think about those words, if you're just walking into this church or you're just watching online and you're not serving Jesus, those words make absolutely no sense to you. The more he gave, the more he had. Like we try to figure out how that works. Those words seem to be a contradiction. But we deal with contradictions every single day of our lives. We just don't say so. Okay, there's a lot of things that we do or a lot of things that we say just don't add up. They just don't make sense. Phrases that we use often. Let me prove it to you. Okay, we drive on a parkway, but we park on a driveway. 
Right? You, you think that would be the other way around, but it's not. Okay? A ship carries cargo, but a car carries shipments. Right? How about this one? Why is it that your feet smell, but your nose runs? Never thought of that. Okay, we, we invest our money with men and women who call themselves brokers. We go to doctors and they advertise their practices. Right? I mean, contradictions all around us. Let's talk about some of the food we eat. Hamburgers. Right? There's no ham in hamburgers. Okay. Um, pineapples. Right? Can you imagine what it would taste like if it had pine and apples mixed together? Right? Contradictions everywhere. And that's what I want to hit on this morning. I want to hit on things that we possibly allow to go on in our life, but we contradict what it is that the Word of God says. And Jesus himself knows what it's like to live through contradictions. In Matthew chapter 26, okay, as we approach, listen to me, as we approach Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, near the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, we find a scenario to where Jesus and his disciples are sitting in a room and they see something unfold at the same exact moment and yet they come up with two completely different ideas of what just happened. Let me read it to you. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, listen to these words, Truly I tell you, wherever... This gospel is preached throughout the world. What she has done will be told in memory of her. Chapter 26 in Matthew. Okay, Let's not disregard where, what this, this means. The disciples have been walking with Jesus for over three years. They're sitting in this room with Jesus, and this woman walks into the room, takes her alabaster jar, and she pours it onto Jesus. And the disciples get irate, indignant. It's a waste. It's a contradiction. Jesus says, hey, listen, it's not a waste. It's a beautiful thing. But the disciples, it's a waste. My fear is this. So many times when you and I look at missions, we get upset because we don't really know where the money's going. Okay, my fear is that the church has become overcompromised and underchallenged when it comes to giving to missions, that missions has lost the meaning in our churches today. Much like this scripture, it's become a contradiction. Some hear missions, and immediately as I start talking about missions, many get uncomfortable because you know that typically what follows missions is money. Well, this guy's talking to me about money this morning. No, I'm not. I'm not talking to you about money at all. I'm talking about something even more important. And we'll get that to that at the end. Is it possible that there are times in my own life, man, I've been serving Jesus faithfully now for 28 years. Is it possible now that sometimes I miss the mark 
If the disciples missed the mark after being with Jesus and seeing Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle and yet still question what he's doing, is it possible that sometimes I miss the mark as well? I know that God has called a generation of students. The reason I travel is because of Gen Z. Okay, I need you to hear me this morning. Two years ago, two years ago, the first time that I spoke on stage as the National Speed the Light Director, I was in Houston, Texas. Okay, I remember, I can close my eyes, I can, man, I can still see the haze in that room. I can remember the conversation that I had with the worship team that night. Went like this. Hey, Eric, what would you like for the altar call at the end? I, I don't need you on the stage. What, you're not going to use us on the stage? You're going to do an altar call for 7,000 kids in the room, and you're not going to have a band on us? Yeah, that's correct. I don't need the band. Because what we've done is this. We've taught a generation of students to react to a song instead of responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I don't, I don't need the band. We're going to do a call to missions. Everywhere I go, I do a call to missions. Okay? And you'll see why at the end. So I get on stage, and I preach the word of God that he put upon my heart to share with this generation of students. I give them an opportunity to respond to the call of missionary, and I just watch as students all over that room in that convention center in Houston start coming to the altar weeping, tears all over the floor, because I told them that God can't send them unless they're burdened for the lost. That word burden, it, it should be heavy in our lives. Okay, to feel burdened for lost people, that should be a weight on us like, we, like no other weight that we ever carry, burden for those that don't know him. As students are weeping at the altar, this young lady walks up to me and she says, Eric, God gave me a word to speak to the room. She's 18 years of age. I was scared to death, i got to be honest with you. Like who in their right mind is going to give a microphone to an 18-year-old in front of 7,000 students? But she said to me, she said, I wrote it down. And I shared this. Every single place I go for the last two years, I've shared this. Because we need, like, okay, we can't just say that God's word is true from beginning to end and not believe it. Amen? Okay, we can't say that the gifts of the Spirit are still alive and active in our lives today and not believe it. Amen? We can't say that God still speaks to us through prophetic words and not share them. Right? Amen? So she comes up, and she wrote down this word, and as I read it, my heart started to thump out of my chest because I knew God wanted to speak this to this generation of teenagers. This generation, it's Gen Z, your, your youth and your children. Listen to me. Be prepared. Change is coming. Would you say change has come in the past couple months? Right? Remember, this was spoken two years ago. It's recorded. Be prepared. Change is coming. I am a God of unconventional ways, and you are a generation of unconventional anointing. I say it again, I'm coming back. It's coming back. Old ways no longer work. You're watching me through your TV screen. That's why I have called you. Church, listen up, an unconventional generation is going to change the world. I say, this begin, I say this because there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Change will break in my name, and my name will spread like wildfire. My anointing will pour out like never before. And church, I'm telling you, change is coming for I'm coming soon. 
Youth, do not fight the plan that I have for your life because an unconventional generation can only be reached with an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit, and this is why I've called you. Come on. Like, if that doesn't get us excited, I don't know what will in our churches today. Okay, that God uses words like, a precedent like this has never been seen before for this unconventional anointing. So is it possible that what God is pouring upon your generation of students and children is an anointing that we've never read about, nor have we ever seen? Okay, change is coming. We've seen it. COVID. We've seen it. Okay, there's, I mean, come on, there's two hurricanes, two tropical storms converging right now in the Gulf of Mexico. We've never seen things like this before. Change is coming. Why? Because he says, I'm coming back and I'm coming back soon. That's why I sit in my house with two people that I love dearly and I look at them every single time I have an opportunity and say, hey, how are you doing with Jesus today? I know they're not, not right, but I know he's coming back. Okay, that's why my son, 20 years of age, says, Dad, I'm taking Zach to breakfast every Saturday morning, and I'm going to be an example to him, and I'm going to work on my pastoral skills with him, because if I can't get him to serve Jesus, I'll never be able to get a group of students to do it. Okay, change is coming! And yet here we are in our churches, and we don't take Jesus serious enough. See, that's what, he saw. that's what he immediately recognized with this woman. That's why he uses the words, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's why me sharing the scripture with you this morning is fulfilling prophecy. Because we're talking about what she did. She took him serious. And I believe the moment that she walked into that room and she saw the Savior, he immediately saw three things with her gift. First, the gift had the extravagance of God. I love that word extravagant. Our God, he's the extravagant creator. He didn't put just one star in the sky. He put 100 billion stars in the sky. He didn't create just 100 insects. He's spoken 10 million species of insects came into being. 2,500 different variations of ants on our globe. 300,000 different species of beetles. 35,000 different species of spiders. My daughter's saying he could have done without the brown recluse dad. Right? Our God's the extravagant creator. Okay, in the U.S., there's 5 billion birds, and every bird is different. Some can fly 500 miles nonstop. Some fly 60 miles an hour. Some 100 miles an hour. Some even 180 miles per hour. There's over 28,000 different species of fish in the seas. Okay, creation's God opening up the alabaster box for you and I. It's God saying, I'm not stingy. I'm the extravagant creator. Okay? No one understood this any more than Mother Teresa. In her book, In the Heart of the, Wor Heart of the World, she shares a story from her time in seminary in Bangalore. She says this, it's written in her book, that a nun says to Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, here in Calcutta, you're spoiling the poor. You're spoiling the poor people by giving them too many free things. They are losing their human dignity. Her response was, she wrote, when everyone was quiet, she calmly said this, No one spoils us as much as God. See the wonderful gifts he's given to us? All of you have no glasses that are talking to me, yet all of you can see. What if God would take money for your sight, what would happen? 
Continually, we are breathing and living on oxygen that we don't work for or pay for. What would happen if God were to say to us, if you work for four hours, I'll give you two hours of sunshine? How many of us would survive then? There are many congregations that spoil the rich. It's good to have one congregation that spoils the poor in the name of Jesus. God's looking for the church to be extravagant in its generosity today. Secondly, God, Jesus saw when she walked into the room that she was willing to give until there was nothing left. Okay, that's where this principle of giving out of surplus versus sacrifice comes in. Okay, this is why the disciples got so irate, because during that time it was customary, listen to me, it was customary that when someone came to your house, you would, you would, you would douse them with some perfume to help offset the smell and the dirt that they would bring into your home. It would be kind of like today, you'd keep a bottle of Febreze at your front door, and anytime someone comes to your house, you just spray them down. Right? That's custom. But she didn't do what was just customary. Okay? We read that she gave it all. She gave until there was nothing left. Now, look into that room. Just imagine with me, you have 12 men, the disciples, okay, and they're measuring the cost. In their mind, theologians believe that that amount of perfume that she poured onto Jesus' head equated to an entire year's salary. In their mind, she just wasted it on Jesus. What? Like, what? Are you kidding me? And yet they sat there and they thought about how hard they work for their money and this one woman just threw it all away in an instance? Okay, that is it possible that when it comes to missions, we tend to measure what we could be given compared to what we should be giving? Okay, that what would it look like if you and I gave until there was nothing left? The problem with the church today is that we're okay with giving what is good enough, but no, many of us have never experienced what it means to give until there's nothing left. We cannot inspire this unconventional generation to pursue unconventional dreams of generosity unless you and I do it first. And if we choose not to do it, if we choose not to lead it, here's what will happen. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. You ready? After Joshua passed away, the generation after him knew not of the Lord nor of his ways. What's that mean? Well, when I read about the generation after Joshua, Joshua walked through the Red Sea when Moses struck the staff onto the ground. Joshua was in the desert when quail and manna fell from heaven. But that generation after him, that means that that generation, grandparents, your children, their children, walked away from the Lord. That if we can just blow it with one generation, we could also rebuild it. That's where I'm encouraged. Okay, it's not about where we are. It's about where we could be. Okay, that we have to be willing to give until there's nothing left. And the third thing that Jesus saw was he, Jesus knew she wasn't hindered by calculation, but she was motivated by love. Right? She took Jesus serious. She, she took him serious. Okay, the enemy of extravagant generosity are those that calculate its worth. They compute before they commit. Okay, they compute the cost before they commit to it. I used to say this when I walked in churches at DYD. Okay, I used to, because there I was raising money pastor for BGMC and Speed Light. And before I would even start speaking, I'd say this, take out your checkbooks. 
If, if you love Jesus, if you love the Lord, take it out right now. And before I even say a word, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning, what does he want you to give? And then fill that in. I mean, are we serious about our relationship with him? Do we believe the Holy Well, well Jesus, I got bills to pay. I got this, I got that. Guys, I had 10 people in my house during COVID. I don't know how we kept the freezer full of food. Like, we're like everyone else, man. We live paycheck to paycheck like this. God still provides today. That's the story we need to tell. We need to not be hindered by calculation, but we need to be motivated by love. The moment that we told Zach and Taylor they could move into our house, we were motivated by love. Those kids would have never made it on their own during COVID, ever, but God. And that's where, when it comes to missions, there's no room to be selfish. None. I read a story that took place in Amsbury, Massachusetts, at the Heavenly Donut Shop. Eileen Taylor tells her story, and the story goes like this. Her husband was laid off from work for weeks. Okay? They were living from paycheck to paycheck without any surplus whatsoever. But one week in particular, they had a little bit of extra money, so they decided on Saturday morning to take their kids to the drive-thru at the Heavenly Donut Shop store. She says she pulls up, she orders a dozen of glazed donuts, and when they came up to the window, the young lady that was working as the cashier at the drive through window looked at her and said these words, Ma'am, you don't owe anything. The car in front of you paid for your donuts. She said immediately I was rushed with all these emotions that, that God knew that we were in dire straits, and in this moment, he provided an opportunity for someone to bless us. And yet... The Holy Spirit began to speak to me and said, no, they paid for yours so you could pay for the car behind you. So she did. And then the car behind her paid for the car behind them. And the car behind them paid for the car be behind them. Now, Amsbury, Massachusetts is a small town. This day and age, if you drive through any drive through restaurant and you look at the young person working in the window, if you were to look in their side pocket or their back pocket, what do you think that you'll see? Right? Things spread so quickly on the social network. So all of a sudden, they put on a social network of this movement of generosity that's happening at the Heavenly Donut Shop. One car continued to pay for another after another after another. A local news agency showed up, started reporting on it. They got to car 27, and all of a sudden, this guy comes up to the window, and they said, sir, you don't owe anything. The car in front of you paid for your coffee. He says, great, I want to pay for the car behind me. They said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. They said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. They said, no, you don't. He said, yes, I do. They said, sir, they got four dozen of donuts. You only got one cup of coffee. He said, it doesn't matter. If they were generous, I want to be generous as well. And then it goes on and on and on until car number 56. Now, let me explain to you in this day and age of cell phones being so readily accessible, car number 56 pulls up to the window, and the young lady says to the guy, sir, the car in front of you paid for your order. You don't owe anything. He said, thank you, and he drives off. Now, I guarantee you that those kids, now I'm just imagining, I, I have teenagers in my house. They're making TikToks. They're posting on Insta. Okay, they're already on Facebook talking about what a loser he was that pulled away and didn't continue this movement in generosity. So don't be number 56, okay? But we are. We are. 
all the time. We're selfish. Okay, we just don't recognize it as such, but, but truly we do. And, and we live by the assemblies of God like we have this verse, the verse we stand on. But this verse, it's a contradiction to us as a church. You ready to hear what verse I'm talking about? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus' last words. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We love that, that portion of the scripture. Man, we love that power that the Holy Spirit gives us. But then it goes on to say, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Last words of Jesus. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Hallelujah. But how many of us are being witnesses today? If we were to be honest, and if we were to really look into the world, into our situation, and that's what I want to talk to you about as we get ready to close, because this is truly what I'm passionate about. Assemblies of God World Missions, okay, put out this pamphlet not too long ago. And in this pamphlet, it uses two words often, spiritually lost. Okay, spiritually lost are those that have either heard the name of Jesus and rejected or those that have never heard the name of Jesus at all. Here's what I get irate over when I walk into a church and someone says, oh, brother, I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. Thank you for being selfish. Thank you for for being selfish and worrying about you when there's still 3 billion people on the globe that never even heard he came in the first place. Remember I said that word burden should weigh on you. It should keep you up at night. That there are people still waiting to hear that Jesus came and died upon a cross so they could have eternal life and yet they have not heard spiritually lost. Have a jelly bean. Okay, This jelly bean represents a million people. A million people. Okay? The dynamic of Assemblies of God World Missions, we have seven regions, if you want to start with these slides for me. Okay, and those regions are, next slide, the United States and Canada, Europe, Latin America, Asia Pacific, Africa, Northern Asia, and Eurasia. Okay, that in these regions, spiritually lost, okay, one million people. In the United States and Canada, there's 273 million people that are spiritually lost. In Europe, 517 million people. Latin America, 544 million people spiritually lost. Asia Pacific, 880 million people that are spiritually lost. Africa, 899 million people that are spiritually lost. Northern Asia, 1.3 billion people spiritually lost. And then in the region of Eurasia, 2.6 billion people spiritually lost. Culmination on our globe of 7 billion people. You know, it's great. We can keep saying how great we are as the, as the Assemblies of God missionally. Okay, my fear is if we keep saying it as much as we say it, it's still not going to come true. Okay, my fear, okay, pastor, I love that God's called, all, called three of your kids. Okay, because it should be harder for us to stay here than it is for us to go to these places. That how dare we, okay, take Jesus' last words, 
and allow them to be a contradiction. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay, that's what they were waiting in the upper room for. And if you see what happened the moment the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, the church was launched like it was never launched before. We haven't seen multiplication like that since. I have to be honest with you. We haven't seen it since. But could it be because we are more concerned with giving our money because it's easy instead of giving our lives? Okay, some of you, missions is about, we need your money. Missionaries need money to do what God's called them to do. But God needs your life. And we have missionaries trying to reach these folks. We do. Here in the United States and Canada, okay, we have U.S. missionaries. This church supports them. Okay, five different platforms. We have Chi Alpha, Youth Alive, Chaplaincy, Teen Challenge, Intercultural. These jelly beans, one jelly bean to every 10 individuals we have. Listen, 910 U.S. missionaries trying to reach 273 million people. Okay? It's one missionary to every 300,000 people. But the pressure shouldn't be just on our missionaries because in our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, we have 13,000 churches, of which we have 38,000 pastors. Okay, so one pastor or one missionary, 38,910 to 273 million people, that's one pastor or missionary to every 7,016 people. Okay? I'm re- we, we could potentially reach that many people right here through this camera. Okay? As a matter of fact, if you were to look at the overall population, because I hear this all the time, like, I get that you want to provide clean water in Africa, but there's needs here in the U.S. There are. There's a lot of needs here in the U.S. But if you measure the overall population of the U.S. and Canada, hear me. This is important. If you measure the overall population of the U.S. and Canada, you'll see that one out of four are found in the name of Jesus. Okay, one out of four. That is scriptural. Jesus talks about seed falling to the ground in a parable. You you know what I'm talking about, right? A quarter of the seed is eaten by birds. A quarter of the seed is trampled. A quarter of the seed takes root but is strangled up by thorns. But a quarter of the seed grow healthy and produces fruit. One out of four. That's where we're at. Look it up. And these stats aren't from the AG. These stats are from the Joshua Project. All the churches coming together. Okay? One out of four. Now, what about the 6.7 billion that are left? This is what gets me fired up, if you can't tell. Okay? 6.7. We have missionaries trying to reach them, too. 2,747 of them. Trying to reach 6.7 billion people that are spiritually lost. It's one missionary to every 2.4 million people that are lost. Missionary Jim Elliott said, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know such an extraordinary God. Okay, and we say it all the time. We, you know, pastor even said it. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, the harvest field is ripe and plenty. Pray that workers will go to the harvest. Okay, but you know, often enough, we, we don't share verse 3. You know what verse 3 says? Go! Go! I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Go! Hey, you know what? It's, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be scary. Hashtag COVID. People in this community, they, they need Jesus. People in the state of Texas, they need Jesus. Man, the United States needs Jesus. 
The globe needs Jesus. But if you and I aren't the hands and feet, if we are not the witnesses, because ultimately the biggest contradiction is in the church today is that we're really good at receiving the power that the Holy Spirit gives to us. We're just terrible at doing what that power is meant to do in our lives. Be a witness. Be a witness in your family. Be a witness in your workplace. Be a witness in your city. Be a witness in your state. And if God calls you, then by all means go because he's calling you to be a witness in the globe because there's still 7 billion people that are living spiritually lost and without hope. And somebody should do something about that. Why shouldn't it be you? I know some, some of you in this room this morning, you're like, oh, I'm too old. Are you? I always say this, you could choose to retire on a beach or you could choose to retire in the bush. That's up to you, okay? I was in a church service, I was talking about sex trafficking here in the U.S., and I did a missional call, and a lady who was 67 years of age responded to that call, and she comes to the altar weeping, and she said, Pastor, she said, I was trafficked when I was 14 years of age. I know what those women are going through. I don't know how, but I want to help. Can you connect me with Free International? Absolutely, yes, I can. I can. Okay, that if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, if your heart is tweaked right now by what you see on this table, then the Holy Spirit could be saying to you, okay, I'm calling you to do something about it. And we already know there's teenagers in this building that have already said yes to this call. Okay, but what about you, mom, dad? What about you? Man of God, woman of God, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Because we're way behind on reaching those who have never been reached before. And he's looking at the church today, and he's saying to the church, stop playing defense. Stop playing defense. Stop playing defense. Stop hiding. Stop hiding. Go out, be aggressive, be passionate, be bold, and bring those that have never heard to me. If not, why do we call ourselves Christ followers, not Christians? Listen, that term these days means absolutely nothing. Okay, who's going to be the true Christ follower and declare Jesus the Lord of their life in such a way that he, they need to make everyone around them know who he is? Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you. And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.